There's a lot of other things that are in the e-bulletin, but this morning we're going to finish the book of Colossians. So if you're turning your Bibles in the New Testament, book of Colossians, we've gone as far as verse 2 of chapter 4. We'll finish this morning. We've been in this wonderful epistle for the last several weeks, last few months. As Paul the Apostle in chapter 3, we saw given instructions as it deals with the relationships in the marriage and her home and in the workplace. And before we get started, let's pray. Lord, we do come. And as Paul wraps this, this epistle up to the Colossian believers, it's for us. So, Lord, I pray that we would be attentive to the things that, that are given to us as we read for our benefit and blessing. And, Lord, I pray that we would be teachable this morning. I thank you for this time of worship. And you are the one that should have preeminence in every area of our lives. You're the creator of all things. You're the creator of us. And you hold all things together. That includes our lives. And in him is all the fullness of the Godhead. You are completely, Jesus, completely and perfectly full of the Godhead. God manifested in the person of Jesus Christ, dwelling in our hearts, as Paul writes, Christ in you. So we are privileged here this morning to honor your word, to believe your word. And Lord, speak to our hearts as we soften our hearts before you and open our ears to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So keep in mind that these commandments given to us because we put on the, the, the new man, the new woman, as we've gone through chapter 3, those virtues that are Christ-like. We as believers, we walk in the newness of life, putting on Christ, then walk in obedience to Christ. This is how you live for Christ, and as you do, here's how you can have a blessed marriage. Husbands, you're to love your wife. Don't be bitter towards them. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Here's how to have a blessed home in your family. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't provoke your children. And this is how it should be in the workplace, that you should be honoring the Lord in this way, that you employees or bond servants, he writes, obey in all things your masters, or that is bosses, employers, according to the flesh, not with eye service or as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, and whatever you do, you do hardly unto the Lord. Whatever you do in life, where he has placed you, your state, that you do it as unto the Lord to please him. And then we moved into verse 1 of chapter 4 because it really belongs to that section where he's talking about the Christian home and workplace. That you, masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So we talked about those things quite extensively. I think it was a great encouragement to those of you who listened to that Bible study. And now Paul continues to give the Colossian believers and us some final exhortations as he begins to close this letter. We do read in verse 2 of chapter 4, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So Paul again given us the exhortation that comes from the Lord. Continue earnestly, be steadfast, give uh, constant attention to prayer. And as we look at Paul's life, he was one 
that he not only preached this, but he practiced it. He was a man of prayer. We talked about when we began our study in the book of Colossians that in chapter 1, he writes, praying for you always and giving thanks to God the Father for you and to the Philippian church, the other prison epistle that he writes, always in every mind, a prayer of mine, making requests for you all is what he pens to them. And even though he was in prison, chained to a Roman uh, guard, he did what he could. And that was he prayed. He prayed constantly, continually, because he had a deep concern and love for the Christians. And now Paul tells us to be vigilant in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And we are to pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us to. It's a simple command. It's easy to understand. But yet it can be so rarely applied. And I think that most of us can say honestly, I I fall short of praying in the way that Paul tells me to here in the book of Colossians. And I'll speak for myself. I read this and I get convicted. Because I can become very busy or become very distracted. I can become a bit lazy and I'm not vigilant and steadfast in praying. It isn't that I don't pray, but I think about all the people that there are to pray for. And it is my desire to pray for my family, to pray for your family, to do it every day. And it takes time and it takes effort and making it a priority. I am reminded of that as I read this verse. And it is my deepest desire that we would be a body of believers, that we would really pray for each other. That was the model that was set in the early church in Acts chapter 2, after the birth of the church in verse 42, that they continue steadfastly, same phraseology here, in prayer, in the word of God, in fellowship and breaking of bread. And as we talk about the Christian home, which we did last time, and the family in chapter 3, may we remember how important it is that we pray for our spouse. Listen, husbands, you pray for your wife. You pray for your kids. Wife, pray for your husband. Pray for your grandkids if you're a grandparent. Pray for family members. It's so important that we do that. Lift them up before the Lord. Pray for your boss. You might be thinking, my boss is a big jerk. He needs your prayers. He needs your prayers more than ever. If you're a boss and you have employees, pray for them. Pray for the people that work for you or work with you. And the man and woman of God that is used powerfully of the Lord, I see that they are one as we look at scriptures that has a consistent prayer life. I think about it when I read about Moses. He had the largest church in the history of, of the world, in the history of mankind. Two million people. He didn't even have a building. He was out there in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses was one that was dealing with them. They weren't always nice to him. They said, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. They would have a vote to boot him out as pastor uh, and the leader. And the vote would be two million to nothing. And they said, we want to go back. And we, why did you bring us out here? But yet Moses was one that prioritized, probably busier than, than I could ever imagine in dealing with all the people. And we see that and the hints of that in those books of the Old Testament. But he folded up his tent. And he walked outside the camp and he set up his tent called the Tabernacle of Meeting. And there he spent time with the Lord. And the Lord talked to Moses face to face as a man talks with his friend. I think about David out there in the wilderness. 
Many of the psalms that bring comfort to you and to me are, are born out of that prayer and seeking the Lord. He cries out that I pray to you, Lord, morning, noon, and night. I think about Daniel, who's off in the captivity, never to see his family again in his homeland. But yet he was one that was a man of prayer. Nehemiah, we're going to go into Nehemiah this fall. And we see that he was used mightily of the Lord, but he was a man of prayer and sought the Lord. And we see those men and women in the scripture that are vigilant in prayer, that that God used them in a powerful way and moved them and spoke to them. And they would pray with thanksgiving. And people will call me, and they'll call me on the radio and say, Pastor Jeff, should I pray? Because God is sovereign. He knows everything. Why should I pray uh, to him? Because he invites us to. He says, Jesus, pray. Pray always that your joy may be full. That we're told in the book of Hebrews that we can come to the throne of grace in time of need. That James says if we need wisdom, come and ask of God, and he'll give it to us as we come in faith. We know that we're invited to pray as his children, that we have the spirit of adoption, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And prayer is the, the vehicle in which, you know, moves the hand of God. It isn't that we manipulate, but the Lord desires for us to pray, to intercede, to give, us, to give him the supplications and needs and desires, to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. So make prayer a priority in your life, and may it be a priority in this church. And in verse 3, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. I am so tremendously blessed when one of you comes to me and says, Is there anything that I can pray for you, Pastor Jeff? If there's one thing that I desire free from you and ask of you, and I don't ask very much from you guys, but this is really important to me, that you pray for me and you pray for my family. I cannot communicate to you how much we covet your prayers, how much I appreciate it, And it touches me when someone says, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for your family and I'm praying for the ministry and praying for the church and for the staff and leadership. I need your prayers. We need your prayers. And the apostle had such a heavenly perspective. And notice what he prayed for, that God would open up to us uh, a door for the word. That I could just clearly continue to speak and minister the gospel message. He wanted to see people come into the kingdom, to continue to be saved, even if it meant that he was going to be put in chains. And I hope and pray that that's our heart, to give a clear message of the hope of the world to the world, and that is Jesus Christ loves you and died for you and wants to save you. And it's going to mean difficulties at times. You might feel like you're chained to that place at work or Uh, When it comes to your family, the difficulties, your family comes against you because you're a Christian. They say, you're the religious one. Stay away from us. And relationships can be severed and even strained. At work, you're not popular. Maybe perhaps miss out on opportunities. But do we desire to see God save the people that are linked to us in our lives? Do we have that compassion for the loss and, and those who are linked to us? 
And Paul says that, pray, pray that the door may be open for us to speak the word. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Listen, this is really important. In your life, be vigilant in prayer. In your life, be wise in the way that you act and speak. He would write something similar in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 5, verse 15, see that you work Walk circumspectly, that is carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't need to tell you that the days are evil and they're getting more evil. And Paul is summing up here 2,000 years ago what he has been writing to them. He said in chapter 3, as you follow the flow of the apostle, as I mentioned, he said, this is what you do. You put to death fornication, uncleanness in verse 5 of chapter 3. Then he says what you're to do is put off uh, all anger and malice and those things, all worldliness and carnality. You're to put it off. And whenever we're told to put something off or flee something, then we're supposed to pursue, pursue righteousness. Put on Christ is what we do. Put on humility and meekness and long-suffering, the new nature, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Continue to pray earnestly. Walk in wisdom so you and I as Christians can walk in wisdom. We don't have to walk foolishly like those in the world who do not have Jesus in their life and in their heart and have the word of God. And it's interesting that Paul writes walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Those who are unbelievers. So that they can see the reality of Jesus in your life. That you are truly blessed and benefited and strong and healthy and, and, and wise in the best sense. Because you're walking in God's wisdom. And you have the Lord that's dwelling in your heart. And he is preeminent in every area of your life. And you're desiring to be a light to others. And it's a testimony to others in their lives that what you have is real. In your conduct. As you speak words, may you speak wisely. Our speech seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt here. We tell people the goodness and the mercy and love of Christ. I think about salt. We put salt on our eggs or on our French fries, and we do it for flavor. When you speak to others, is there a flavor that, that of the Lord that is given to them? Or do they walk away saying, yuck, what was that all about? That was just harsh and mean and... And all of this and negative, that's the way of the world. So much negative talk and foul language and bad news and complaining. We need to be different. Saul also leaves a, 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 you know, a thirst. Do we, in our words that we speak, leave some kind of thirst that the Lord is thinking, I want what they have. There's something different about them. We're to be thankful. To make a difference. He says that you are to, to, that, you know, you may know how you ought to answer each one. It's similar to what Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 3. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. You have a living hope in you. And you have a very important message to give to them. 
and know how to answer because you have God's word that's dwelling in your heart. And I know I'm being redundant in saying this, but I'm going to keep saying this. In the day in which we're living in, God's going to use the one who is a man or woman of prayer and a man or woman of the word, who's open to the opportunity to be a light to others. And sometimes you're just going to be that light, not so much the voice. You see, light is seen. It, it, it doesn't speak, but they watch you. They see you in your conduct, in your faith, in your purity, in your love for others. Timothy, you be an example in these things, in your speech, the words that you're giving. And it will make a difference in your ministry to others. And I really believe that a powerful, powerful, powerful testimony witness to other people is to walk in godly wisdom. Remember that wisdom is the proper application of knowledge, spiritual knowledge. It is taking what we learn going through the scriptures and having it worked out in our lives as we yield to the Lord. And remember this, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus would say that you be the wise one who hears these saying of mine and does them. They're likened the one who builds uh, on the firm foundation and is able to stand when the storms come. And the storms do come, don't they? And the difficulties and the challenges. And as we've discussed going through this epistle, always remember that Jesus has given you the very best and strongest foundation in which to build your life on. And as you submit to his lordship, he's going to do an incredible work in your life. As you seek him, as you intercede on behalf of others. I mean, when you pray for your spouse, you pray for your family, you pray for your kids, your grandkids, their names are going before the throne of God. So you walk wisely. And I want to draw attention to one more thing before we move on. Paul writing, continue earnestly in prayer. Be thankful. Look and pray for that open door to share Christ with others. Walk in wisdom. Let your speech always be with grace and seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. But in the middle of all that, he says, redeem the time. Ephesians chapter 5, redeem the time for the days are evil. Life is short. Life is but a vapor. We don't want to be wasting a lot of time doing foolishly. Wasting a lot of time living for the world or living after the world or entertaining the world. We want to live wisely, be a blessing to others and a witness to others. Instead of wasting time in things that really don't matter. I can spend more time, I'll speak for myself, in prayer reading the Bible. And it can take place in, in different ways. Maybe um, I'm driving th through town and I pass somebody's house that, hey, I, I know that I, I can pray for them. Or at the stoplight, I see somebody that is there. Now, keep your eyes open if you're driving or at the stoplight. But you can just, Lord, bless them as you're taking a walk in your neighborhood. I know that that family is going through a hard time. Instead of spending hours and hours on social media, I can redeem the time just, just reading my Bible, uh, speaking to others, serving others, whatever it might be, living wisely. And it's my prayer that as people watch how we live and what we say and how we spend our time, that they do truly see the reality of Jesus, that you are blessed and, 
how he has blessed you tremendously, what he means to you. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy other things. It doesn't mean you can't watch a football game this afternoon. It doesn't mean, you know, this Friday I went, you know, I went fishing and, um, you know, I was out there. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Fishing was wonderful. And I remember talking to an elderly man that was there. He, I was getting my little pontoon boat out and he was getting his ready and we were talking and he was kind of looking at me like he just had a puzzled look on his face and then we went out and came back and and uh, he was talking to me more and then when I went over to eat lunch he came over and said I have to apologize I know I kind of was seemed a little scattered but um, I recognized your voice I listen to you on the radio all the time the only guy out there he said, I've never heard the Bible be taught like that. The Word of God. So I told Sue, I, I need to do more fishing. There's ministry. <laughs> you, you just, as you're just open to the Lord, it's amazing who he'll bring to you. But if you're not walking, if I'm not walking wisely and speaking crude things and we're wasting time and spending time doing foolish things and involved in foolish things and entertaining the, the, you know, what culture is pressing for us to, to entertain and people aren't going to respond to you when you tell them that you're a Christian because they're not seeing it in your life. When you talk about the Lord, do they see something of the reality of the Lord in your heart and in your life? They're not going to see perfection. But do they see that he's real and you're walking with him? And there's a different spirit about you and a gentleness and a humility. You speak the word of God. We don't always have to give people our opinions. Nothing wrong with I'll give you my opinion. But when you have conversation with others at work or in your family, you can say, this is what God's word has to say. And the word of God is alive. It's powerful. I think I mentioned this once. I had somebody uh, a few weeks ago say, well, I don't believe in God. And I said, what do you believe in then? They had this look on their face like, I don't think I've ever been asked that. So I said, let me tell you what I believe in. That there's a loving God. <laughs> that he did make you. And he loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. They got tears in their eyes. I don't believe in that. Okay. I'll see you next time. The apostle says, pray that the word may be open to us to minister to others, to be a light. Light is seen. So what do they see in your life? Your speech seasoned with salt and with grace. And as Paul finishes up giving instructions to them, now he begins to talk about, in his closing statement, some of the people that he knew and ministered with in the church of Colossae. These are real people. Verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. 
So he sent in Tychicus back to Colossae with the letter for them and let them know how Paul was doing. And he was to also listen to the Christians there in the church, what was going on, so that he may comfort them and encourage them. And Tychicus, as we read about him in the scriptures, he joined Paul in his third missionary journey towards, towards the end of it as Paul's heading towards Jerusalem. When Paul needed a temporary replacement for Titus, the pastor of the church of Crete, it was Tychicus that was mentioned as replacing uh, Titus. At the end of Paul's life, when he says to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, he's in that Mandarin dungeon, he's in an awful place, different than this first imprisonment. It was a pit. It was a hole. And he writes to Timothy, he says, my departure is at hand, Timothy. He says, come to me quickly and bring my coat. It's cold in here. And bring the parchments is what I ask you to do. So Timothy would come is what we believe. And he would ask Tychicus to take care of the church at Ephesus. And it is possible and probable that not only is he carrying this letter to the church of Colossae, but also the letter he's going to mention to the Laodiceans and also the letter of Philemon as well. Keep in mind that traveling was very dangerous and difficult, and Paul trusted this man with these letters. His name means fortunate, and truly he was fortunate not only to know the Lord, but to minister with a man like Paul. Epaphras, he's going to stay behind, a pastor of the church apparently with Paul. But here, Tychicus, who's going to make that journey, he is called a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Those are great things to be known for. And I can say that about many of you as we come together in Christ, the love of Christ we have for one another. What a blessing it is to have beloved brothers and sisters And I've had the privilege to watch many of you be faithful ministers and fellow servants. Just being a blessing to me, to my family, to this church, to the community. Tychicus was a true blessing to Paul. And then verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful, beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. We're going to talk more about Onesimus next week when we go through that little epistle, Philemon, the fourth of the prison epistles. Onesimus was a runaway slave whose master was Philemon. Uh, Philemon was a Christian leader in the church of Colossae, and there's indication that the church of Colossae met in his house. So Onesimus runs away, a runaway slave. That was a very serious offense back in Rome at that time. He ends up in Rome getting saved by Paul. Paul writes his personal letter to Philemon, urging him, receive Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother in the Lord. He was profitable to you, but now he's profitable to both of us. And if he owes you anything, put it on my account. So Onesimus is going to go back and returning to Colossae with Tychicus, carrying the letter of Colossae, Philemon, and also probably we know that the epistle to the church at Ephesus where he would stop first, and then also the, the letter that we don't have in the canon of Scripture to Laodicea. But Aristarchus, verse 10, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. 
Aristarchus was in jail at this time with Paul. He traveled with Paul, ministered alongside of Paul. He was a native, we know, of Thessalonica, Acts chapter 20, verse 4. He was a Jewish believer who had a Greek name, and many of the Jews did that, had that as a result of the diaspora, that is, after the, the captivity, they were dispersed throughout the known world. He first met up with Paul in Ephesus on Paul's third missionary journey. When the riot broke out in Ephesus, they ended up grabbing uh, Aristarchus in, in that riot. He would return with Paul to Jerusalem. Again, Acts chapter 20 tells us. And Paul would eventually get arrested, and he would go to Rome when this first imprisonment. And we know that this man, Aristarchus, uh, would be with him. I think he's in Rome caring for Paul. It seems to be he is one that truly would lay down his life for Paul. And no greater love than this, that a man be willing to lay down his life for a friend, Jesus said in John chapter 15. And then he lists Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, Mark, John Mark, who would travel with Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. In the middle of that journey, John Mark leaves and he goes back to Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't say why he did that. There's speculation that perhaps he was afraid and went back to Jerusalem or too immature. It could be those reasons. It could be that he was just struggling with, you know, the, the whole message of grace. And, and Paul would go up in that area of Galatia and he would, after that journey, write to them about the Judaizers that came in. Uh, we're saying that you have to have faith in Jesus and be circumcised. It could be that he was still stuck in that legalism. We don't know for sure, but we do know this, that there is a dissension between Paul and, and, and Barnabas when they were going to set out on the second missionary journey. And Barnabas said, let's take John Mark. And Paul said, no, he's not going to go with us. And I think because Paul was so firm and adamant about it, it could be that he was struggling and just understanding the, the grace, the gospel of grace. But that relationship would end up being restored, Paul and John Mark, because at the end of Paul's life, he writes that, send John Mark to me. He's useful to me. And in verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision or Jewish. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Justice was his name among his fellow Romans. Jesus or Joshua, his name before his fellow Jews. We don't know much about him, but he's listed as a fellow servant of Christ. So Aristarchus, Mark, Justice were Jews who were believers. Epaporus, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in, in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Remember Paul said of Epaphras in the beginning of this epistle, he's a fellow servant, a faithful minister, probably the pastor of Colossae. He comes to Rome to see Paul. He tells him of the affairs of what's going on, these false teachers coming in, the Gnostics, the legalists, the mystics. So that would prompt Paul to write and bring correction to them that we saw in the first two chapters. But here this man, Epaphras, he labors fervently for you. Listen, in prayer. Coming back to prayer. I like that. It convicts me. It's an example to me and speaks to me. You see, I haven't failed you, Calvary Chapel. If we don't have the biggest building, we got a small building. 
I haven't failed you if we don't have the most dynamic social media. If I'm not the most popular pastor around or most dynamic speaker. But I have failed you if I'm not praying for you. I have failed you if I'm not giving you the word of God. I have failed you if I am not doing those things with love. And we can lose such perspective in the church today. We got to have this and bigger that and grander and things like this. We want to do things to try to minister to as many people as we can. And none of us as pastors, as leaders, are perfect in that. But I have failed you if I'm not praying for you. I believe it was Samuel that said, God forbid that I should sin to not pray for you. And I am reminded of this and convicted by this, that one of my responsibilities, main responsibility, is speak the truth of God's word in love and to pray for you. And if I'm not doing that, then I have failed as your pastor and as a minister of the gospel. For I bear him witness that he's a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Areopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke intrigues me. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. That's 25% of the New Testament. He traveled with Paul. We know that. He would be with Paul in this imprisonment. At the end of Paul's life, he says, All have forsaken me, except Luke's with me. You never hear about Luke. He never writes about himself. But so faithful. Can't wait to meet him in heaven. And we contrast that with Demas. Now, in Philemon, we will read next week, he says, Demas, my fellow laborer, and the Lord greets you. Uh, here in this letter, he says, Demas greets you. About six years later, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he writes, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And I mentioned that. Because unfortunately, unfortunately, I've seen men and women being used of the Lord, and then they leave what God has called them to, to go after the things of the world. And this should warn us that none of us should look back and say, what happened? I just drifted away. I'm not serving what I should be doing, doing what God told me to do. I got all involved and excited with the, the things of the world. And we need to be reminded of this because I know the you know, and need to be reminded of the stupid seduction of the world. The pull us away from the Lord and the things of the Lord. That again, that he's to have preeminence of every area of our lives and every decision we make. And when we make that our own, Lord, what would you have me to do today? Open the doors for me to give the word, to speak wisely, to have my speech seasoned with salt and with grace, to give an answer of the hope that is in me and never get away from that. And Demas did to go after the world. There's nothing in this world that's worth going after over the Lord because this world is a big scam. It really is. And you're going to find yourself being empty and you're going to find yourself being just unfulfilled and unsatisfied and wondering and confused. That's what the world will bring to you. Not because I say so, because the word of God says so. And in him is all the fullness of the Godhead. And that means that Jesus is fully God. But I want to ask you a question. Do you feel empty this morning?
Everything that you need and I need to be full and have true satisfaction and joy and peace comes from him. The problem can be we can be so full of ourselves or so full of the world. We want to be full of Christ. Lord, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me that I can live for you each and every day. And he says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it's read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So Paul in this imprisonment writes a letter to a nearby town, Laodicea, close to Colossae, only a few miles away. We don't have that letter in the canon of Scripture. And I think I've mentioned this before going through this epistle. I would have loved to have seen that letter, what Paul would say to the church at Laodicea, probably a lot of similar things. But you see, 30 years later, over 30 years later, Jesus writes a letter to the church at Laodicea, right? The seventh church, chapter 3, book of Revelation, and he says to them, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, and I'm about ready to vomit you out of my mouth. You think that you're rich. And you see, and you have need of nothing. But your spiritual state is this, that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What happened to the church of Laodicea? I don't know. But I pray for us there's always a dependency upon the Lord. A dependency and a submission to the Lord. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And this salutation of my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So be it. Chippus, minister to him. Encourage him. Take heed to the ministry which you have received. So that's how we end the epistle. Listen, take heed to how God wants you to live for him, speak for him, to walk with him, and to be used of him. So, Father, we thank you. So much in this epistle that we've looked at, and I thank you that we can go over it and be blessed and encouraged in every way. And Lord, we do. We want to take these things to heart. We need your help to walk in wisdom, our speech to be seasoned with salt and grace. Let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, is what Paul would write to the Ephesians. But what is necessary for edification for the people that we speak to, to build them up, to speak truth. Lord, I pray that they would see the reality of Jesus in our lives. We know they're not going to see perfection, but they see something real, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We need you, Lord, and may we be ones that are praying for our families, husbands for their wives, wives for their husbands, for our children, for our grandchildren for the body of Christ, for those linked to us in our lives, those we work alongside of, and Lord, those who we live next to, to be a light to them. And Father, I just pray that you would have preeminence in every area of our lives every day. You created us we're created for your purposes. You hold it all together, our lives. It's all about you. It's found in you. 
fulfilled by you, Lord. Nothing else, nowhere else. Every day, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Father, I want to pray if there's anyone listening or here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that today is the day of salvation. He is your salvation. There's none other. He went to a cross and died for your sins and rose again and conquered sin and death. And the invitation is for you to come, to humble yourself, repent, and turn to Jesus and say, I come to you humbly before you and ask for forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. Be my Lord and Savior. And as we do, eternal life is promised, a new beginning, relationship with the Father, reconciliation, and brought into the family of God. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, sincerely in your heart, this means anything to anyone here in this place or listening. You can come and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again. You conquered sin and death. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior because you are the Savior of the world. And I thank you for this new beginning and want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. I thank you for bringing me to the family of God. In Jesus' name.